you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Psalm chapter 7. Psalm chapter 7, beginning verse 1. As you find your place, please go ahead and stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter 7, beginning verse 1. O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me, and deliver me. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth, and lay mine honor in the dust, Salah. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about for their sakes. Therefore return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit, and digged it, and is fallen into the ditch, which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own hate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we are in a season of the year where people celebrate the harvest. But there are also those who participate in wicked actions and activities. And God, I pray that you would help us to renounce wickedness, that we would do away with it and get it out of our lives. Lord, that we would dedicate our way to you. Sometimes, Lord, we serve you and honor you with our lives, but people accuse us of being evil or wicked ourselves. I pray, Lord, that you would judge us fairly by righteousness, and, Lord, that you would forgive our iniquity. Help us to seek you every day, to die to ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow you. As your children, Lord, I pray that we would demonstrate the life of Christ. God, if there is any sin or wickedness in me, I pray that you would purge it. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict me and that I would confess it before you. And Lord, I know that your word says that when I confess my faults before you, you'll forgive me of my sin and iniquity. That you'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And Lord, I pray that this room would be filled with righteous people who have confessed before you anything in their lives that shouldn't be there. And Lord, as they are convicted of their sin, Lord, I pray that you would forgive them. Help them, Lord, to be righteous before you. And God, I thank you that while we were still your enemies, you sent Christ to die on the cross of Calvary for us. 
What a blessed gift that is. And Lord, as we march towards this Christmas season that is coming, help us, Lord, to point to the cross. Help us to point to the empty tomb. Help us to point to heaven where you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, I pray that you would so fill us with your Holy Spirit that you would bring a sense of revival to our own lives and to the lives of those around us as people are either encouraged by us or convicted by our lifestyles. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Psalm 7 has 17 verses, so we're going to uh, read through it rather quickly this morning uh, for sake of time. But in verse 1 it says, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. If you have a note in your Bible above this uh, psalm, it says, Concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. Sometimes there are people in your life that hate you. They can hate you for no reason whatsoever. And in, in your life, they're going to say things against you that are not always true. They're going to try to convince your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your co-workers, your fellow students, whatever it is, that you are an evil and a wicked person. And I can already stand up and admit that I'm not perfect, but I try to do what is right. And I want the Lord to judge me justly based on the things that I do, not on what other people say about what I do. And so here he's had somebody that has spoken into his life and he's, he's wanting the Lord uh, to make sure that the right word gets out about him. And so uh, he puts his trust in the Lord for his own reputation. And that's what we have to do because you can't go out there and put, put the fires out everywhere because people's tongues work too fast. You're just going to have to live righteous lives every day and let your own character prove itself in the end. One day I was working for what I called the underpaid slave. UPS, that's, that's what it's really called. Uh, UPS, I was working at UPS and I was a part-time supervisor and man, we worked like crazy to get all those boxes moved. We were down in New Orleans, Louisiana and we had two different centers in that one building. One would go to Slidell and one would go to New Orleans and we, we worked really hard every day. All those packages coming in had to go out of that building and all, all different directions. My job was to oversee four or five guys loading probably about 20 to 30 trucks at Christmas time. It went crazy. There were more than that. But I did my very best to inspire every one of them to load those trucks as fast as they possibly could every day. Sometimes I didn't feel like it, and some days they didn't feel like it. But I had a lady come in to be the boss over the whole center that did not know me. And... Uh, I was trying to explain something that had gone wrong and she looked at me and she said, you're a liar. And it cut me to the quick. It broke me. I mean, I've been cussed at, yelled at, screamed at, and all kinds of stuff in that building and would go home and tell my wife, I really hate this job, but it's paying for school and I'm going to keep on going. But the day that she looked at me in my face and she said, you're a liar. I knew I'd not lied about anything and I, I was telling the truth. And most of everybody was gone out of the building. And as a grown man, I started crying. Isn't that embarrassing? One of the guys that was my direct supervisor, he had been cussing me for over a year. He would never seen that happen. And so 
He just patted me on the back. He said, go on home. And I cried out of the building. I cried down the sidewalk. I cried to the guard shack. I took all my stuff out of my pockets. I cried all the way to my car. I got my car and I drove to the seminary campus. I cried all the way home. It probably took me a solid hour and a half to quit crying. What was the difference between somebody cussing me every day and somebody pointing out and saying, you're a liar? She had assaulted my character and my integrity. It went to a deeper level. And that's where David's at. He's at the point where somebody is assaulting his character. They're calling into question who he is fundamentally as a person. Some things some people say about you will roll right off your back, but sometimes something will get you. And you begin to examine yourself before the Lord. Now, I'll tell you the end of the story was um, about a year later or so, uh, she had actually gotten to know me. And I had to turn in my notice because I was moving to South Mississippi and they had a, a big gathering there and in front of everybody. She stood up and she said, Joe's leaving. We got off to a rocky start. But let me tell you, I'm going to miss having him around. That was the end of the story, but it took a long time to get there. I had to show up the next day and work for the same person and keep showing up and keep showing up and keep doing what was right and good and just and prove that my words were not false because there I was, a seminary student, supposed to be a preacher, and somebody had called me a liar. Let me tell you, preachers have to deal with the truth. If they don't, they worth listening to. So David is concerned. It says, verse 2, Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it to pieces, while there is none to deliver. I mean, that's what it does to you. It rips you to pieces. I mean, some people can say stuff about you you couldn't care less, but somebody close to you, somebody that you love and honor and respect, say something about you, and it will feel like you're being torn to pieces. You've been there. You felt about this tall. Verse 3, it says, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without causes my enemy. He said, I've done the opposite of that. I've helped my enemies, and this person is accusing me of something I haven't even done. But Lord, if I have done it, point it out to me. Let me see. Verse 5, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. So that's the first section there. He is saying, God, if I've done something wrong, let them destroy me. Here I lay my life bare before you to see. David knows that he didn't do what was being reported about him that he had done. If you've ever been falsely accused of something, this is like Joseph being accused by Potiphar's wife of attempted rape. He didn't do anything. But he got thrown in jail anyway. Eventually, Joseph's character won out because he was elevated above Potiphar. He was exalted above everybody but Pharaoh. Why? Because his character proved itself over time. Verse 6, it says, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. 
Lift up thyself because of thy, the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So it shifts gears here and it says, you know what, Lord, I want you to defend me. I want you to take care of my enemies. Now, in the book of Psalms, there's over 150 different songs. Several of those are what is called an imprecatory psalm. We talked about this in Stump the Preacher a few weeks ago. An imprecatory psalm is when David says something like this, God knocked their teeth out. It's when he's praying against his enemies and against the enemies of God that God would just wipe them off the face of the earth. That's kind of how you pray at a football game before you get started. You know, God, let's go out there and just let, help us win. Or, you know, both sides are praying. How does that work? Um, I don't, look. How does God treat wickedness? That's what we're going to talk about today. How does God treat wickedness? Because it seems as, as if people think that God is just so loving, so kind, and so gentle that nobody's going to be in hell. But that's not what you find when you read the Bible. So we're going to talk about that. Verse 7, it says, So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. It's going to happen. There's going to be a judgment. What happens if you drive down the road too fast and uh, you see some blue lights behind you? What happens? You better stop. You better stop. All right, so you pull over and somebody gets out of their car behind you and they walk up and they give you a certificate of completion. <laughs> they give you a ticket. What is that ticket? It is a summons to what? To show up where? In court. Most people just go to a courthouse and write, here's the money. I'm guilty. Just take it. Some people go and say, uh, can I take one of those classes where this just gets expunged that we can just wipe it out? I've been there several times. Um, and they say, yes, you can, uh, but you have to sign this affidavit saying that you won't take this class again for three years. Fine. I think it's pretty close. Uh, What does that do? That keeps it from going on your permit record and also keeps your insurance company from saying, hey, you're a dangerous driver. We're going to jack your rights up. All right, so you understand this. The judgment is coming, but it's not the day that you commit the crime. It's somewhere off in the future. And, and so what's happening here is that a lot of us, we've sinned against God. And we want to get that sin expunged from our record. So we go and we say, Lord, please apply the blood of Christ to my life and save me from my sin. And the penalty is paid on our behalf. There's going to be a judgment, but only those who have the blood of Christ applied to their lives are free, are justified, are going to heaven. If you have to pay the fine for your own sin, the penalty is death and hell. And there's lots of people who say, well, I've tried to be good enough. In fact, after I got that ticket, I went out and did all kinds of community service. A local pastor, I won't mention any names, got a ticket. Knew an officer 
Asked the officer to take care of it. And the officer forgot. And he was arrested. And it's on his record. He better stay where he's at because from now on, anywhere he goes, if they do a background check, they're going to find out he's been arrested. And it wasn't for preaching on the street corner, neither. It happens. If you've never gotten one, you haven't been driving home or at all. For all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. The question is not whether or not you're guilty. It's whether or not you have the blood of Christ applied to your life. David is a righteous person. He's done some things that are not always right. But he's asking the Lord to judge him in this particular circumstance because he knows he's not guilty. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity that is in me. So you try to have integrity, you try to do what's right and good and just. And if somebody tries to falsely give you a ticket or falsely accuse you of something, you want to show up on, on that day and say, here, here's my evidence that I didn't do that. You want the judge to say, not guilty. That's what you want. And that's what David wants. Verse 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. Sometimes our outside actions or our outside appearances don't always fall in line with what we feel or think that we should do in our hearts. And how people portray us may not always be accurate. So God examines your heart. Now for those of us that have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so when God looks at us, the Holy Spirit bears witness. It secures us a place in heaven. Otherwise, your heart is deceitfully wicked. And you deserve death. People in the world tell you, oh, just follow your heart. You may even hear that in church. Follow your heart. They have not read the Bible. Your heart will get you killed. Because it's deceitfully wicked. You have to learn to follow the Spirit of God instead of following your heart. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tried the hearts and reigns. I want you to look at Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Are we on the screen? We're going to begin in verse 18. And this is the message to the church at Thyatira. And uh, God judges individuals this way. He also judges entire churches this way. Calvary Baptist Church will be judged for the nature of our heart. For our motivations in the things that we do. Lots of churches get judged that way. You can talk about any church in town and, and go out in the community and say, what do you think about this church? Oh, they're out for money. Or, oh, they're out. You know, they'll, they'll talk about that. They'll talk about uh, churches on television. You know, what are they out for? And I got to sit in a, a home of a patient this week. They turned on uh, one guy. They were going to show me that, how much they love this church. Well, they turned on one of their things, and it was all about raising about $4 million. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just, I'm sorry, it's hard to imagine, but that's where they were. That, that was the whole program, Mr. Ruth's money. 
So, this church in Thyatira, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Lord, saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Uh, anybody ever look through you with eyes that can see? No matter how dark you want your life to be, the flames of fire of the Lord's eyes can look right through you, and he can see who you really are. Verse 19, I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works. And there must have been a lot of works. And the last to be more than the first. God knows everything that Calvary Baptist Church has done. Good, bad, and ugly. There's lots of works we've done in the last year to try to reach people and to try to share the good news. Verse 20 says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So in this church, there is an influence of a spirit of Jezebel. And the spirit of Jezebel, if you remember the Old Testament uh, queen, her husband wanted something, so she got somebody else killed through convincing people in the king's name that that man had committed blasphemy. She hired two false witnesses to stand up and say that that man blasphemed. And they killed that man who was innocent so that her husband could have his vineyard. The spirit of Jezebel is when you take whatever means necessary to get whatever you want. You don't trust in the Lord. You don't follow the Lord. You connive and you scheme and you plot and you plan and you twist and manipulate without God being involved at all. And it doesn't matter how many good works you do. If you do them apart from the Father, they're worthless. And so there was a spirit of Jezebel in this church. And it was dangerous and wicked. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So the fornication was, she was convincing people in the church to worship false gods. She had power and influence, and she used it. Verse 21, And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. So God gave opportunity for them to stop worshiping idols and to serve him and him alone. She didn't do it. So what happens? Verse 22, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So anybody that participates in that kind of behavior, worshiping false gods along with Jezebel, unless they repent, they're going to have great tribulation. Verse 23, And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Go back to Psalm 7. God who searches the reins and hearts knows what you're doing and why you're doing it. He knows if you're in church to honor, please, and glorify him. Or if you're in church just to mark off a box or whatever it is. I, whatever reason you come, he knows why you're here. And unless you repent, you're going to receive the reward of your wickedness. If you're in church for the wrong reasons. 
Verse 9, it says, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. If you're here for the right reasons, may God establish you here. May those that are like Jezebel move on. The ones who love the Lord and want to serve Him, honor Him, please Him, glorify His name, may they be established. Verse 10, My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. So you, you can try it. You can try to go out and, and defend your own name. It just makes it worse. Uh, when you go out there and try to tell everybody, no, this is not true. This is what really happened. Just live a righteous and godly life. And the truth will win out. Let God be your judge and let him be your defense. Verse 11. God judgeth the righteous. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Look at Nahum. It'll be hard for you to find. It'll be on the screen. Nahum chapter 1, beginning verse 2. God's angry with the wicked every day. Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. Um, for some reason, we, we take wickedness in this world and we downplay it. We act like it's not that big of a deal. Um, but I want you know, my kids to know that we stay away from wickedness. Stay away from witchcraft. We're about to go through uh, Halloween, and um, there's some people who have come out of the Church of Satan and come out of the idolatry that is in all that, and they say, please, understand this. I heard a man report this week. He said, there are evil and wicked people that will even pray over the candy. Now, we're going to have trunk or treat. We ask to bring candy. We're going to pray over the candy, too. God use it. Bring people closer to Jesus. But understand, there is a spiritual warfare that is going on over a holiday. No, holiday is just short for holy day. I mean, there's lots of history and lots of traditions and lots of churches saying one thing and another. I need you to understand that you need to stay away from wickedness. Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, it says, God is jealous. And the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. Listen to this. Verse 4, he rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Can you walk across the Mississippi River? <laughs> six feet and just a little bit over. I thought six feet. Well, I'm six feet tall. I'm, I can make it across right now. I wouldn't dare do it when it was as high as it could possibly be. So dangerous. They're having trouble sending barges up and down the Mississippi River right now. It's so dry. He said there's no end in sight. Is this a righteous nation or a wicked one? The stuff I've seen on the news, this place is better. We need to repent and get right with God. Somebody said, Preacher, I want you to pray for rain. And I thought, I'm going to pray that we get right. The rain will come if the people will get right. 
But even in desperation, if you look in the book of Revelation, when all this stuff happens, instead of repenting and turning back to God, the wicked just get more wicked. They refuse to repent. And it becomes their judgment. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him. Anybody else do an earthquake drill this week? I had to. It work. And the hills melt. The Bible says the earth will be flat whenever he gets done shaking it. All the mountains will fall. And the earth is burned in his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Now read all of that and tell me about God and how he's not going to judge anybody. These people are not reading the Bible. They don't know what's in there. They don't know what God is going to do to his enemies. Because nobody's willing to teach it or preach it anymore. People only have ears that want to hear what they want to hear. And they don't want to read or see anything else. And as a result of that, huge crowds are going to people who will make people just feel good all the time. And old mom and pop churches are dwindling to nothing. Because they don't have the programs, and because they don't have the resources, and because they don't have the activities, and because they don't have the music, or, or the lights, or the show, or all the things that attract a crowd. Let me tell you something. I'm not concerned with attracting a crowd. Every time Jesus said something, the crowd got smaller because he told them the truth. They'd run off. As long as he'd feed them, they'd show up by the thousands. But when he started telling them the truth, they went away. He said, you've been eating fish and, and bread, but let me tell you, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, what? And they ran off. Because they didn't understand and they didn't care enough to stick around to understand what he was really talking about. His disciples, he asked them, you leave them too? And they said, we can't find the words of life anywhere else but here, so we're staying Verse 7 of Nahum chapter 1 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. I just read several verses about how God is going to destroy the wicked, but you understand the ones that cling to the Lord don't have anything to worry about. There's lots of people that preach about the fear or you turn on the news and it's all about fear all the time. If you don't get the end of the message, you just leave here afraid and scared to death. Cling to the Lord. Let Him be your refuge and your strength. Let Him provide you with shelter and with protection. David knew that he could not go out there and defend himself. God, be my defense. Do what I cannot do. Judge me in my integrity. Look at my heart and see what I'm doing. If I'm being wicked and evil and unjust, then absolutely let me be trampled to death. But if not, God defend me. Verse 11 says, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Verse 12 says, If he turn not, 
he will wet his sword, he hath bent his bow and made it ready. So, so here it gets a little confusing. So let me point it out. If the wicked man does not turn away from what he is doing, God is going to sharpen his sword with whetstone. He's going to draw back his bow ready to release. He always hits his mark. Verse 13, he hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. God has prepared for the wicked instruments of death. He already has it planned out. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Sometimes you may be persecuted and want to lash out. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Let him take care of it. The best way for you to take care of your enemies is to treat them like friends. To love them, to pray for them, to seek their best. Preacher, that's counterintuitive. I want to kill them. I want to slap them. I want to poison them. I want to draw and quarter them. I want to hang them. I want to run them over. This morning I almost got run over in the parking lot. Jeez. It was just pretend. I did like this. Like I was about to be run over. And they swerved and went and parked. And I went up and, and I said... You wasn't telling him to run over me, were you? No, I was telling him, don't run over my preacher. <laughs> the best way for you to deal with your enemy is to treat them as a friend. To make them your friend. To make them a brother or sister in Christ. Preacher, that's counterintuitive. So was Jesus dying for you. It did not make sense that he should die in your place. It did not make sense that he should sacrifice himself for his enemies. In fact, it did not make sense for him to hang there with nails through his hand and through his feet and a crown of thorns on his head and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Verse 14. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. So these persecutors, they're, they're giving birth to something here. And here it says they give birth to lies. But I want you to look at James chapter 1. James is my favorite book in the Bible. People ask me about my favorite verse. I, I don't have a favorite verse in particular, but I love certain books. I love certain uh, literature in the Bible. Often it has to do with with practical Christianity, things you can actually flesh out and do. Not just theory, but works that you can do. And James chapter 1, verse 13. When you talk about you know, conceiving and giving birth to lies in Psalms, I think that James was pulling from that when he started talking about this. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither trumpeteth he any man. Neither tempted he any man's heart. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. 
So God doesn't tempt you. Now, if you are put in a trial, any kind of situation, the Bible says that God will provide you a way out. So if you're if you're put under some test, some trial, or you know, being lured in by something, God will provide you a door so that you can stand up under it. You know, he'll, you ever watch old Indiana Jones and, and his hat slides under the door and then you see him barely crawl out? I mean, that's a lot of us when we're trying to get away from our temptation. We just barely make it out sometimes. God always provides a door for you to get out. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Verse 15. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. These persecutors back in David's day, he realizes that what they're doing is they're, they're conceiving sin. And that sin, when it's fully grown, could actually end up getting David killed. Just as Jezebel conceived of a way to get rid of Ahab's enemy. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name. Two false witnesses stand up, cast their vote against Naboth. He's taken out and he is killed and he's done nothing wrong. And then his vineyard becomes Ahab's because of Jezebel's conception. Be careful of the things that you ponder in life. Sin causes death. Lies can cause death. Verse 15 of Psalm chapter 7 says, He made a pit and digged it and is falling into the ditch which he made. Um, this is not going to be up on the screen, but Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27 says, When you dig a pit, you're going to fall in it yourself. So don't go around digging pits for other people. Don't go around casting lies about other people. Don't go around trying to destroy others to ensnare them. Because the Bible says that when you do such things, God knows what you're doing. You're going to get caught in your own snare. Verse 16, His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. Probably my favorite part in the Bible about this particular verse about vengeance coming back on somebody that had plotted and planned and schemed evil. It's found in the book of Esther. Esther chapter 9. And I can't read to you the whole book of Esther right now. I hope you know the story. It's a long story. We're in the next to the last chapter. Esther chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. I'll summarize by saying this. There was a man that hated the Jewish people. Esther was the new queen and the king did not know that she was Jewish. But Esther's adoptive father, which was her relative, this man hated. Because Esther's adoptive father would not bow down to him, the wicked Haman. So Haman decides that he's going to get Mordecai killed. And the way he's going to do it is by not killing Mordecai but by killing all the Jews in 127 provinces. That's some kind of hatred. He hates him so much 
But God was working something out in the background. See, God's never mentioned in the book of Esther. But his handiwork is all over because at some point the king had a threat against his life. And lo and behold, Mordecai was the one that told about the threat. But nothing was ever done. The king was delivered from the threat of assassination, but nobody ever honored Mordecai for saving the king's life. And uh, with a bout of insomnia the night before, Haman was going to come in and ask the king for permission to have Mordecai hung upon the gallows that he had just made that were over 70 feet tall. The king could not sleep, and so he said, would you read to me the minutes of everything that's going on, and that'll put me right to sleep. Well, they read to him all night long. He had to listen to all of it, and he still couldn't sleep. And somewhere in the middle of the night, they read about Mordecai saving his life. He said, what was done for that man? He saved me from being assassinated. He said, nothing, my king. And my goodness. And he goes out into the outer court, and he's trying to figure out what to do for the man, and in comes Haman, and... Uh, Haman, he's, he's been exalted a few times by the king, and the king asked him before he could say anything about Mordecai, he said, what should I do for a man that I seek to honor? And Haman says to himself, well, who else would the, the king want to honor except for me? And he said, have a, a robe that you have worn be put on his shoulders and have him placed on the king's horse and have somebody walk in front of him saying, this is what is done for the man that the king wishes to honor. And the king says, great, do that for Mordecai. Oh, don't you know that Haman was about to die? I came in here to ask you to let me kill him. And now I have to lead him through the streets. Honoring this man that I want to destroy. There's a whole lot more to this story. I love the story. I, I wish I could go, get into all of it, but... Let me just say this, that by the time everything was over, a law had been written for God's people, the Jews, to be able to kill their enemies on the same day that they were supposed to be killed by their enemies. And everybody was so afraid because, well, they found out that the queen was a Jew. And Haman ends up being destroyed. Because he set himself up against Mordecai. And Mordecai has taken Haman's place. And Mordecai writes letters to 127 provinces. And all of a sudden, people all over those provinces are scared to death of the Jewish people because they are in power and they are in control. And many of them become Jews themselves. <laughs> they are scared and they don't want to be killed. And so we are with you. We are with you. And, and on that day, lots of people get slaughtered. They get killed. They were supposed to be killed themselves. So I'm telling you all this summary to read to you these two verses. Uh, Esther chapter 9, verse 24. It says, Because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them, and has cursed her, um, that is the lot, to consume them and to destroy them. Verse 25, but when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. One of the most dangerous women in the Bible was Queen Esther. 
Because when the king came back to her and said, is there anything else you want? She said, yeah, I want you to take all of his sons and hang him on the gallows. And they were killed. Don't dig a pit for anybody. It's not a good idea. Verse 16, his mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. David ends the psalm like this, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. You need to just go on about your business praising the Lord and living for him. If you have an enemy, let the Lord handle it. If God leads you to do something about it, you do what he leads you to do. You honor him, you respect him, you serve him. But understand, David had many enemies. He had enemies on all sides. Jesus had many enemies on all sides. And, and Jesus was crucified on the cross of Calvary. His enemies there, he, he prayed for forgiveness over them. And one of those soldiers that was standing there after he watched the day unfold and a man who was supposed to take days to die all of a sudden dies after saying, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And God begins to shake the earth. And the veil in the temple rips in two. And an enemy of the Jewish people, one of the people who had crucified Jesus himself, looks up at him and says, this must have been the Son of God. <laughs> Do you know what fear and terror would strike your heart? If you were to admit to yourself that God is who He says He is, and He's going to do what He says He's going to do, you live in a world full of blind people. And they're blind because nobody will show them the light of Christ. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to tell people as long as i got breath in my lungs that their salvation comes from the Lord. And if you're an enemy of God, you will fall under His condemnation. Jesus didn't have to come to condemn, condemn anybody. They were already condemned. He came to save people. I don't have to stand up here and preach hellfire and brimstone. I have to preach the light of Christ. The bread of life. The water that quenches all thirst. And woe unto me if I don't preach it. It'll be a fire shut up in my bones. I won't be able to stand it. We will do anything necessary to reach all the people around. But we will not convince them to worship idols like Jezebel. We're working against the darkness, not for it. If we're going to pray, we're going to pray that people be saved and born again. Not that they turn themselves over to wickedness and darkness. We're going to take our enemies and turn them into brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way that we love one another, the whole world will know that we are disciples of Jesus. Let's pray. God, you've been gracious. You've been good to us. Uh, you took us when we were enemies and made us friends. Lord, uh, I pray that we would reflect on that enough to know how to make our enemies our friends. Lord, that you would change our attitude and our hearts. Lord, that you would transform us into the image of Christ. 
that we would act like him and, and not like the people we were born to be, but the people we were born again to be. Or lots of us are tempted to go back to our old ways, the ways of Jezebel, worship false gods. Many of us are just distracted by the entertainment around us all the time. God, there's lots of work to be done before Jesus shows up. I pray that we would be about your business. God, that we ourselves would not be your enemies. That we would labor knowing that we will not lose our reward. But when Jesus shows up, he's bringing his reward with him. I long for the day. I labor for the day. I love that day. But this world loathes it. They do not want to see it. Because they hate you. They hate your children. They hate your truth. And the only way they can be converted is if you, Lord, work through us. Work in their lives shed the light of Christ into the darkness of their hearts. When they see their wickedness, God, help them to repent and turn to you for salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.